Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 99 of DM Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is Ben Bumhoff. Passively sitting by, ready to talk in a moment's notice. Now is that time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ryan, how's it going? It's going good. It's oh, good. going good. I'm always happy to hear that, and I'm always happy to talk to you. I am excited because I think we've got some good stuff to talk about today. And uh, even more so, it's just, uh, you know, it's just one of those days where I'm like, you know, it's been a very long day, and now I get to talk about some fun stuff and uh, just have a good old time. Agreed. Agreed. This uh, this is a topic I've been wanting to talk about for a while, and it's it partially because I need to get better at it. <laughs> Same here. Uh, so we got we've got two things we're going to talk about today. We're going to do a monster fixture, which is super fun. We haven't done one of those for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But first, we are going to take a little bit of time and talk about use of passive abilities. And this is something I feel like gets overlooked a lot. Mm-hmm. And I throw myself in this category and I I don't like it because sometimes players will build their characters with these cool passive abilities in mind. And if you do not, as the DM, give them opportunities to use them or actively use their passives, <laughs> it can it can certainly feel like a waste or it can feel like their characters are getting shortchanged. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. It, it's it's really it, it, but it's it's really hard. It's really hard uh, because as DM, you're doing a lot of stuff. And so this is something you have to be very intentional about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are things like passive investigation, passive perception, uh, abilities uh, like uh, and these are some of the abilities that players use. Uh, you mentioned like primeval awareness, divine mm-hmm. sense. These these types of slightly more passive things that players activate or that the players just have, but it requires you, the DM, to make use of. Mm-hmm. Definitely. <coughs> Excuse me. And I mean, you, you kind of nailed it where um, if I make a character who is, you know, observant, observant as just as high as it can possibly go. And my passive insight is huge. Like I shouldn't need to constantly be rolling perception to find some of the most minute little details. And that's one of those things where it's up to us as DMs to really kind of know what's going on, to pay attention and to be able to be open to clue someone in is as to something that's happening, you know, reward them for making those choices to, you know, put their score into that or to um, choose the the alert feat or, you know, wh- whichever way you want to kind of go about it. And this is one of those things that um, I've definitely started doing in my game where uh, in, in the simplest thing to do is just, you know, if you know who has like the highest passive perception, you just straight up to say, Hey, cleric, you happen to notice that this is something that's going on, or you give them the chance to roll for it. If it's something that's like, you know, really, 
really super duper like tricky. But even at the same time, you don't want to like double gate it with a very high DC. You still want to give them that chance to maybe miss it if it's like, um, you know, like a, say a super crazy sleight of hand of someone paying off someone who's, you know, on the complete other side of the room in the shadows. But if anyone's going to see it, this character would. So give them that chance. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so how do you do this? So this is one of the things I am going to do as I start my new campaign is when your players have created their characters go through, whether it be in D and D beyond or whether it be the character sheets, they have uh, grab those uh, for a quick bit or have a copy of them, but you don't even have to have the full copy of the character sheet, but behind your DM screen, have a piece of paper that you put up or that is in view that just has the names of the characters and then like three columns, passive wisdom versus perception, passive investigation and passive insight. Mm -hmm. And then just write the numbers down for each of the characters. That way you have a very quick use case glance of, all right, the characters are entering the dark woods. No one has said they are actively looking for anything specific, but there are potentially things to spot, maybe uh, a monster or some sort of um, like animated tree. I'll use that as an example because we're going to talk oh, about plants. Where did that come in, from? In monster, in monster <laughs> picture. Uh, but maybe there is a specific DC you have in mind or maybe something is sneaking up on them. It's now very easy as a DM to roll that thing stealth check behind the screen and then compare that stealth roll to the player's passive perceptions. If the players, any of the players passive perceptions beats that stealth roll, then you can say, Hey, cleric, <laughs> because this <laughs> cleric is eagle eyed. You notice he's something. Super good, <laughs> yeah, you notice something rustling in the woods over to the northeast. Mm -hmm. And that then clues them in. They are then potentially not surprised by something. And then they begin actively looking or actively being aware to protect themselves. And this is, uh, and then in, if you do a stealth check and it's higher than any of their passive perceptions, then you just carry on as normal. And this is a great way to avoid always having to go, uh, everybody make a perception check. Mm -hmm. They roll. And then you're just like, okay, not that that can't be fun every <laughs> once in a while, because it, it can be. And I know sometimes DMs will just call for that just for funsies to mess, mess with the characters, but that can also tip them off. Even if it's out of character, and it makes it harder not to metagame at that point mm -hmm. as well. And that's something on you, right? As because you gave the characters these this potential information. It's 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 very Baldur's Gate 3 when you walk <laughs> into an area and all the little things pop up above your character. Perception check failed, 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 failed. And all your all four of your characters fail, and then you're just like. Oh, come on. What is it? What just <laughs> what just happened? What was it? And then it's it's just really annoying because you have no idea 
what it is you actually missed. So in this case, passive perceptions can be really good for that because then you don't have to tip off your players that there might be something, especially if they're not actively looking for something, but you can also reward the way they built their character or the way their character is behind the, behind the scenes and then give that to them because of the stats they have. Yeah. And just using this example as well, we can bring in the, some of those passive abilities or active abilities, however, you know, which way you want to look at it. Um, so let's say, you know, you go through your passive uh, perception check. Nobody beats what you rolled for stealth, but you have a ranger and their favorite terrain is the forest. This is how you can kind of work in an advantage into this whole thing where you give them just a perception roll, just have them roll it once. And then technically they've kind of rolled twice in that instance. You know, you're, you're looking at their build, you're looking at what they did and they're supposed to be super in tune and keyed into what's going on with the forest. So yeah, they should be able to, you know, pick something out or know what's going on. Um, you know, Oh, suddenly you realize, or you hear that, all the birds have stopped chirping and you know that that means that something's near. You're not exactly completely choreographing what it is, where it is, but you're giving them enough so that they know, Hey, I know forests. I know what's going on. Something's up. And that way you're not telegraphing the entire encounter beforehand. You're giving them just enough to kind of um, put them on edge. They can tell the rest of the party. And then from there, they can kind of start looking at, you know, this is when you're starting to do active checks. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do, or maybe, you know, set up like a, a defensive position or, or something, or some random guys like, okay, I'm going to start my ritual cast. That's going to be 11 minutes for this, this tiny hut. And then of course, you know, you're going to totally jump them before that, that 11 minutes hits. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where again, look at all the abilities and everything that they have to give them again, more purpose with, with what they can do and what they've chosen. Now, yeah. this is something yeah. that um, I've kind of wanted to, to start doing in my campaign um, after in all honesty, watching uh, legend of Vox Machina um, on check out the cartoon. It's amazing. Freaking great. Uh, of course it does vary from the actual campaign one of critical role, because, you know, this is uh, technically not Dungeons and Dragons. This is an adventure of what's going on. But one of the big, you know, changes and stuff that I thought was really interesting is the fact that in the cartoon, uh, Vex senses when a dragon is around. She's not, you know, um, actually using primeval awareness and, you know, doing one of her, oh, it's one of my favorite enemies around or something like that, you know, like actively, you know, using a spell slot and stuff like that. I think that as the characters get to a higher level, certain things like that should kind of be more in nature with them as opposed to them having to actively like look for something. And to me, that's just, again, rewarding the character or the player for something that is like kind of deeply in intertwined into their character and it rewards some of the choices that they've made on top of that. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, I think that's a great example um, because like you said, as especially as characters grow in power, they, they shouldn't necessarily have to roll for everything. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and just to kind of continue on with that, we've also got, 
passive investigation, passive insight. So how could you use something like that? So passive investigation um, can be used in a multitude of ways, usually when looking for things like loot or potentially looking for, uh, I don't know, a specific piece of a puzzle or mm -hmm. a specific item that goes somewhere. Most of the time, there are DCs set for those particular items, be it a puzzle, be it uh, maybe a scaling DC of like 5, 10, 15, 20 to find uh, specific items or find more of a certain thing. So you can reward passive investigation with those things without actually having to make the person roll. This is especially useful if you have a MacGuffin of some sort mm -hmm. uh, that people, that the party will need, but the party is not necessarily actively looking for it in the right area. Mm -hmm. um, especially if there is a high passive investigation person who is around, even if they are not actively looking for it, you can use that passive investigation to hint towards it or to hint toward an area or you catch something out of the corner of your eye that is useful, uh, that, that looks like that thing you are looking for. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like you notice patterns, you notice like it's basically kind of stepping back and seeing the whole inner workings of the situation that's going on. Um, you know, the, they might not be like the, the big, you know, strategist for the party or something like that, but they're able to kind of do pattern recognition or, or something along those lines. Um, another good example would be uh, a, a rogue who is, you know, trying to figure out the inner workings of a trap or something like that. If they have a high passive in, in uh, investigation, you know, hey, it could be something that they, they trained with when they were coming up, uh, you know, through the ranks giving them advantage on their, their disarming role and stuff like that. Or it could be something that is similar to something that they've seen before, but it's like, Oh, well, here's where it's different or something like that. You know, it, again, it's just another idea of they've had the, 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 the knowledge from the past, they're able to identify what's going on with this. And there you go. Um, with, with looting again, like this would be perfect for like a dragon's hoard, you know? Yeah. You're going to see coins and stuff all over the place, but let's say you have someone who's like, say uh, a charlatan background or something like that. You want to know what other pieces would sell really well, whether it's like, you know, artwork, uh, fancy instruments, um, you know, any sort of not gold or coin that the dragon yeah. keeps in its hoard. Because as we've talked about dragons before, they all, you know, value other stuff too. Yeah. So being give able those, to kind of go give in, those hints automatically yeah. exactly. to the person who has that high passive investigation. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I yeah. love that. And, and going into a dragon's hoard and being all like, Oh yeah, we could get this handful of platinum or, that statue over there, that is so-and-so statue from this, you know, era. And it is one of the lost seven statues. It would be the final collection for so-and-so who is looking for it or something. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And rogue, you know that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, another great way passive investigation can be used is, uh, it is a useful starter for hints mm -hmm. for something, especially things like puzzles. If your party is having a problem with that and you need to give hints, because remember 
player knowledge and character knowledge are not the same thing. Oh, never. A lot of times characters will know more or be better at something than the player who is playing them. And that it, and that it, that is hard sometimes to play. If I'm playing a 20 int wizard, but I myself am not 20 int, that can make things really hard. But a 20 int wizard will have most likely a fairly high passive investigation because mm-hmm. investigation is based on intelligence. So if if your party is having trouble at a certain task, like a puzzle, and the players are having issues, use that passive investigation to give hints to the player who then can use that through their character because their character might know that or might have been able to figure that out even if the player themselves can't. And that's a great way to reward the character's stats and the character's prowess. And you can do that just by looking at their passive scores. Yeah. There's a reason why we don't have passive strength. Um, you pretty much know, oh, they've got a 20 in strength. They're going to be able to move this big thing or pick things up or whatever. But intelligence is such a harder thing to kind of, you know, really, um, just instantly look at and know, oh, um, are you smart enough for this? Are you smart enough for that? That's why we kind of have the score to go along with it. Same with perception, you know, wisdom, it's a different type of intelligence, um, insight, which we're going to totally get into and talk about a little bit more. But again, insight also very specific to, you know, a, a form of intelligence, whether it's wisdom or an intellect, depending on which way you kind of go with it, because, you know, you can go various ways, but being able to use that sort of, of passive in, in, uh, investigation stuff is great. And again, rewards the player who chose to make that stat a priority. Yeah, especially because there are feats specifically that can increase those scores. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And that's, and that's a big deal because if a player takes that, you as a DM don't want that to be a wasted choice or a trap choice for mm-hmm. them or not, or not allow them to be able to get the full value out of that feat. Like they just get a part of it, but then you don't care about the other part. Like Mm -hmm. we want to, we want to make the player decisions matter. We want to allow them to use what they got. So specifically let's, let's talk about insight. Insight could easily run in a very similar way as perception. So let's say the uh, players are talking to an NPC. They have get the, the NPC is not necessarily given them any reason to doubt them. Maybe they're not suspicious at all, but maybe as the DM, you know, this NPC is lying through their teeth. And so as they're talking and as they're lying or providing bad information, Mm -hmm. I, as a DM could roll deception and then compare that deception score with my player's passive insight. If the deception score is lower than one of the player's passive insight scores, after after the character is done talking or as they're talking, 
you could just do a quick interjection of, hey, wizard, you're getting a funny feeling about this. Something is off. And you did that without asking for an insight check or making the players ask for an insight check because that's their passive insight and they passively figured out due to a poor deception check or just insight that is higher than whatever the deception check the NPC rolled is that something is off. Something is wrong. I don't have a good feeling about this. And that's a great way you can use passive insight as long as you remember to make that check for your NPC while you're doing it. Yeah. And even then, um, if they don't, you know, uh, really have that score higher than what you rolled, or if it's super close, or even if they rolled, you know, a little bit under the amount of information that you give can vary as well. So, you know, let's say they, they, uh, uh, beat your role by like one or two points or something. You just kind of say, Hey, uh, let's go with Bard because you know, they're charismatic. They, they know people, um, they say, Hey, as, as they're telling you this, the story about what happened, you see their eye twitch now and then you just kind of, you know, maybe play a little, little bit of hint of something maybe going on here. Something's something's a little off or, you know, if they have, again, a, a much higher score than that, you give them the whole, oh, they're lying through their teeth. You know, you can totally tell. You've heard this story before, you know, something along those lines. You have different um, levels of how much you can kind of give away. And this really helps, too, if in the instance of like, oh, hey, um, they're confronting the BBEG right now. You know, it, it, it might be one of those things where it's like they don't know that they're that yet, but you still want to keep something hidden behind the veil, but at the same time still reward your players so you can give them a little bit. They don't need to know that, oh, this is the guy who's been, you know, raising uh, the dead in the past five villages that you've been to. They don't need to know that. He's obviously very good at, at you know, hiding who he is. So even if you have a really high score give them just a little bit to bite on just a tiny little bit there. And, you know, it, it, it might sow some just kind of mistrust. It might. sow just pure straight out, you're evil and I hate you, which I mean, they wouldn't really have cause for that based on the little bit that you gave them, but they do know that something's off with this character here. And based on the level that you kind of want to give them, you have that control being the DM, but you're still rewarding the player for the choices that they made. Yep. Yep. And then we have the, the things like you talked about earlier, the primeval awareness, the divine sense, uh, something like detect magic, mm -hmm. uh, things that might last longer than just six seconds. I believe even did, like detect magic's 10 minutes. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, this is something as a DM, especially if there's a lot going on to be aware of because detect magic is only 30 feet, right? So, but they may walk to a different area and they may not ask about it. They may forget about it. So this is something that you can also help with mm -hmm. uh, in tracking when they have that. This is just another one of those passive things uh, especially if the player forgets uh, again, those types of those types of things, 
It's also on the players to remember. They're the ones that cast it as well. But as a DM, this is something that's it's good if you can remember as well, uh, especially if they are moving around, going to a different area. Primeval awareness is can be miles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so that's there's a lot of interesting stuff that you can do with that. I had a ranger last campaign uh, that used it to great effect. Uh, it was very a very fun, interesting passive ability, right? So there's there's different ways that you can help as well. But this again, this is a collaborative game. Uh, not every no no one person has to take care of everything. Mm-hmm. Everyone everyone should be working together, especially when it is a player specific ability. But when we're talking about fully passive things like insight perception, investigation, those are going to lean very heavily on the DM to make something of them. Yeah. And, you know, going into something a little bit more active too, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but um, another way to just kind of reward your players for their choices is let's say that they want to make like a history check on something. Well, this is where you can say, are you, proficient in history. You know, it might be something like so unique and different that they would need to have that sort of, of, of training or background in order to really have access to this sort of thing. Um, or say they're, they're in some sort of temple and, you know, history or religion would be something that would work well for in this instance. Um, another thing that I see, uh, a lot happen in, you know, um, uh, actual plays as well as my own games that I either play in or I run is, is someone says, Oh, is this magical? You know, instead of doing a detect magic on it, you know, usually it's like an arcana check or if they're proficient in arcana, they're able to tell there's something kind of magically about it, but you don't really know what it is. And then that's when they might pull out the full detect magic to, you know, get the type of magic that it is. And then also, you know, find other things in the room and stuff like that versus like identify or something along those lines. So, again kind of look at what, you know, sort of proficiencies that the players have chosen as well. It's it's not as big, especially in this discussion uh, with the, the passives, but at the same time, they can kind of come into play in their own passive sense, um, just based on the situations that the players end up in. I, I think you bring up a good point. And one of the things I've started doing, and this is another thing that can reward your players for their character choices is you have the help action, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people just be like, uh, can I do a perception check? And then everyone's just like, I'll help with that or whatever. Uh, one of the things I started doing is I only allow a person to help with a check if they are proficient mm. oh, I in like that. that thing. Because then that makes it so you're not doing absolutely everything at advantage, mm-hmm. but it also makes it, much cooler because that character is specifically proficient in that. So they can either help or they can roll it themselves. And then they can explain to me how they are helping. Like, how are you, how are you helping to make that perception check? How are you helping to make that strength check? And they can do it because they are proficient in that thing. And so I, I've really, I've started playing that way. Uh, and I think I think it makes it much more interesting because it rewards character choice mm-hmm. and it it doesn't make it so that some other person is just randomly. I'll help. I'll help. I'll help. Yeah. Uh, 
because that to me, it's not as interesting, especially if, if you're just like, I have a, uh, my plus nine investigation rogue is doing something. And then my plus one non-proficient other person is like, I'll help. So he gets advantage. <laughs> and it's just like, well, no, you're not very good at this. <laughs> like, like it's, that's not all that's really not necessarily enough to justify another role for this thing. But if my plus five proficient cleric or whatever says, I want to help with this. Oh, that, okay. That's interesting. How are you going to help? So this is not necessarily a real rule, but it's something I've found that can really uh, differentiate player characters yeah. and really allow you the, the player to play into their strengths because then they can, they can uh, try and double up. It's good when multiple characters are proficient in the same thing um, and it can play to the strengths. So like I said, that's it's just something I am using now. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the uh, level nine uh, proficient in investigation, and then the the one points and not proficient. That's the same as when I was a little kid helping my dad fix the car, where all I was doing was just holding the flashlight, and it ended up in his face half the time. That's uh -huh, exactly uh -huh. what that is. <laughs> yep, yep. And to kind of go on to that. There are some times when it's fun to not not necessarily completely, but let the players choose what skill they want to use. Mm -hmm. So I may call for a perception check for a certain type of thing. And the player may go or I, it may just be a situation uh, where I'd say make a perception check unless you can give me a good reason to use something else to do the same thing. And if the player can make a good case and you don't want to do this all the time because that could slow <laughs> things down ridiculously. But if you're in a situation where it could be multiple things and you don't necessarily know, or you don't have necessarily an idea of what exactly multiple things it'll be. Maybe they're mm -hmm. trying to figure out something in a temple it could be history. It could be religion. It could be investigation. Like, okay, I would accept any of those. It, just tell me how you are using X skill. Yeah. It's like to, the, the iconography is, thing. is off. That's how I use the religion to find out that, Hey, his right hand should actually be pointing to the left as opposed to the right uh, mm -hmm. versus uh, investigation might be, you can see a hinge on the hand or, um, acrobatics. They're climbing up the, the pillar and getting a closer, I don't know, getting a closer look at something. <laughs> I, I'm, that's a real stretch there, but I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that's the point. You can always try something if it makes sense. Yeah. Make a good case. This is that it's, it, that is certainly a way you can help your players develop creativity mm -hmm. by giving them some like wiggle room, some flexibility, and then making them explain why, why they are choosing to use this or why, why they want to roll this specific skill mm -hmm. and then letting them give you the explanation because then they are having to think creatively 
And if it's something that's good, heck yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. that sounds good. That's totally legit. Go ahead and roll that. Yeah. Creative thinking is always a plus. And um, I'm always saying how my party is incredibly good at creatively thinking their ways out of situations and completely destroying my encounters and all that stuff. And I applaud them every single time because of what they came up with. I'm always happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, I you love to see you love to see creative uses of situ- even when those things bend the rules. Mm hmm. Like if if the players come up with something cool or interesting enough, that's definitely going to work because that's the kind of play I want to encourage because it makes the game far more interesting, in my opinion. Did I ever tell you about in our our session zero or well, actually our our one shot that, you know, turned into the campaign. um, One of my players came up with uh, dirty fairy fire. So basically what happened was the, I don't think you told me about that. Yeah, the, the the BBEG that they were fighting for this went invisible. And then so the the bard was thinking, okay, well, what can I do to try to make them visible? She's like, can I press to digitate some dirt in one of these spaces and just kind of like poof it in the air and see if it, it lands on someone? You know, trying to do the whole like invisible man, throw some paint on them or, or, or something along those lines. And I'm like, that is a really creative thing to do. You have to tell me exactly which space you want it in. And if it turns out that it's the same space, it totally works. She happened to guess the right space. So I'm like, you see some dirt just kind of land on something floating in midair and it's like, Oh my gosh. So it, it was just, you know, a really creative thing to do. Um, and I said, that's awesome. And then we started playing the actual game. I'm like, maybe we don't do that in every single fight going forward now because we're actually playing the game. It's not a one shot, but still great creative thinking. And, you know, with the, the whole, Hey, it's only in one space. Eh, still see it you know an argument for maybe being able to do it now and then so i just don't think it's fun oh certainly i think i think that's super cool i think that's super cool it's uh it anything that builds the creativity uh the role play of your players uh is is good Mm -hmm. definitely Uh, so that's that uh do you have any other tips on using passive abilities uh, let us know. We'd love to hear it. Yeah, definitely. Anything that you do that uh, kind of rewards the players for making those different choices. It's something that we're all open to and, you know, we want to have fun and see what the other players are doing out there. Yeah. All right. So shifting gears a little bit, <laughs> we, <laughs> uh, we're back to the woods <laughs> and there's evil afoot, a planty evil. Uh, multiple planty evils. Uh, <laughs> but what if those planty evils are boring? <laughs> we should spice them up a little bit. We should spice them up, maybe with a little monster fixer. So uh, let's kind of go back to uh, what we mentioned earlier and talk about uh, awakened trees. Let's start there. That's a that's a fun one. Yeah. Uh, that's it's it's a very it's a very interesting concept, right? You it's, it's, it's a huge plant creature. It's just a tree. Your party's walking by all of a sudden it starts moving Mm -hmm. and 
something's going to hit the fan because it's huge and there's limbs and it's gigantic and it's got this thick trunk and, you know, uh, roots start bursting out of the ground. Uh, what is the party to do? Well, just avoid the slam attack. Yeah, that, that's all you can do. That's literally, literally it. Yeah. And just to, to make sure vulnerable to fire. And can slam you. Yeah. And just to make sure these aren't ants. These are just a tree that's been awakened. Yep. Just the good old awakened tree challenge rating two. It's got, you know, 59 hit points, which for a CR two, that's a decent amount of hit points. This thing is probably may, it may last a few rounds Yeah. yeah. for characters who are fighting this type of thing. It's got damage resistances, bludgeoning and piercing. So, you know, Hey, Slashing makes yeah. sense that, you know, wouldn't be resistance to that because, you know, you could cut a tree down. Yeah, they're, they're characters. A lot of characters may not have magic weapons at this point. So this thing, this thing could be pretty sturdy. Mm-hmm. But for the party to fight against and for a DM to play, it is boring as crap. Yeah. Like you move around 20 feet and you have a slam attack. So, Ben, how could we make this? more interesting of an encounter. Well, I came up with about three different things that I think can, you know, add a little bit of fun to it. Uh, one of them is a little bit more silly than the others, but, uh, first off, I mean, this, this really, really works if it's like, I think like a weeping willow, but you know, other types of trees definitely work with this as well. But, uh, you just have a shake, the tree just shakes and everything. And, and a whole bunch of pollen falls from its branches. And, uh, guess what? The party has to make some sort of con save or either they're poisoned or they fall asleep or maybe they're charmed or something along those lines, because, Hey, you know what? This pollen in this tree, it's been awakened for a reason. It's guarding something and it wants to make sure that it stops you from continuing forward, whether again, you're sleeping, poison, charm, whatever. So I thought that'd be kind of fun. Um, another one that I thought would be really dumb, but it kind of varies on how dumb it is, is throw fruit. Trees, fruit, they blossom. They have different things that they, they can pull off themselves that can be used as weapons. So I'm like, yeah. You know, they're, they're throwing apples at you and stuff. You know, it's a, it's a bludgeoning, and, bludgeoning attack. But what if, you know, they're a melon tree? Well, hey, they're throwing melons. Those might do more damage. Um, you know, so based off of what's kind of flowering and growing off of this tree, you got to you have a tree with a ranged attack. You know, that, that doesn't normally happen. Of course, trees don't generally attack in the first place, but much less having a ranged attack, definitely not on the list normally. Um, and then last but not least, I just love this because it just, it's funny to me and it's just called timber. Um, so, you know, you got two people in a row. <laughs> I'm a giant tree. I'm like 20 feet tall. Guess what? I'm just going to fall down. <laughs> and then if it smash lands on you. some people, yeah, exactly. They got to do a deck slam. Thing, get out of the way. This is smash. Yeah. Cause you know, <laughs> you, you don't want a big giant tree to fall on you. That's going to do a lot of damage. But yeah, yeah, I just thought, hey, you know what? Totally makes sense. Just fall down. Next turn, tree gets right back up again because it's a tree. It's what it does. Yeah. No, those are those are all great. Uh, one of the first things I thought of when I was thinking, how like, how could I spice this up? Because one of the things I love to do is uh, put environmental hazards mm-hmm. on the board, right? Make people think about positioning, make people think about moving, that sort of thing. Uh, so one of the first things that came to mind was back in the old Pokemon days, 
Remember Bulbasaur had <laughs> yes. an attack called Razor Leaf. Yes. It was such an amazing attack. Uh, it was very strong, fairly early attack. If I if I recall, you know, I had the vine, vine whip. There's there's other vine type things that can be vine whip. But we're but I, let's like specifically Razor Leaf. I thought it would be super cool for a tree just to shoot up like an awakened tree, shoot a bunch of these incredibly sharp leaves and have something kind of like cloud of daggers. Yeah. That it could put on the ground in an area. These leaves are whirling around doing slashing damage and cutting. And that whirlwind of leaves can then be moved every turn. And potentially they could be destroyed by fire. They could have the, their own set of hit points, mm-hmm. right? Their own small set of hit points or they could be destroyed. Or maybe they have a set number of rounds that they last and then dissipate because they, the magic or whatever only lasts so long. Yeah. Potentially more than one of these could be down at the same time. And whirling around the battlefield, whirling around the tree, making players have to move, making them have to reposition. Uh, so stuff like that could be super cool, right? I like it. I like it. Um, you could also do something with roots, right? Where roots burst up from the ground, maybe 10, 20 ish feet away from where the tree actually is. Yeah. It could cause you to have to make a, a deck save, uh, take a little bludgeoning damage and maybe get knocked prone. Right. Uh, but another way to, uh, give yourself a little bit of range or give yourself, uh, some of that movement type abilities or making, uh, cause you're only moving 20 feet. Mm-hmm. So anything you can do to the players to make them have to stand up and lose movement so that the tree can catch up to them or can trap them in an area of these razor leaves or uh, knock them down and then fall on them. Right. (laughs) Uh, That's, that's cool. That's interesting. Maybe you give it a bonus action. Maybe, uh, maybe you summon these razor leaves with an action and then as a bonus action, you can move them. Yeah. And so it, it's just more cool stuff. Maybe roots. That root thing is a reaction. It can take when someone moves out of 20 or 30 feet of it. Right. It gets a reaction to try and throw a root up and knock them down. Yeah. Or just smack them back towards the tree. Yeah, maybe even a yeah, a movement type ability where you don't get knocked prone or maybe you do, but you also get knocked towards the tree mm-hmm. rather than away from it or just knocked straight down. Or you could even have something cool like the a variable DC. Like if you miss the DC, you get knocked prone, but if you miss it by 5 or more, you get knocked back as well. I love variable DC stuff because it makes it so much more interesting Mm -hmm. that there are potentially multiple success or multiple fail type effects. And we do see that even in the real rules, there are certain things Mm -hmm. that will say if you fail by like five or more drop poison right there. 
Yeah. So it's not, an, it's not even unheard of for like a rules is written type thing. It's just not used super commonly. I wish they would use it more because it doesn't add that much complexity. It's just a simple, okay, the DC was 15. They rolled a nine. So they bailed it by more than five. So this happens too. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a very easy thing to, to do. So stuff like that can just take a super boring encounter with a tree that does a slam attack and moves 20 feet and turns it into something much more interesting, much more dynamic to play against and play as I thought of another thing and it's really dumb and I love it. Yeah. Let's let's hear it. Um, This is is monster fixture, baby. This is, this is the time to talk about it. So, you know, you're, you're talking about like, you know, adding more things to the, to the field and everything. And, you know, something that we always talk about is action economy. Well, trees are great habitats for a ton of different types of living animals. So why not have a squirrel army come out as well? You'd have a a cluster of squirrels, kind of like you have, you know, like a a pack of rats or whatever, Um, you know, have them kind of come out and start attacking and stuff or, or maybe, you know, some sort of, of, of bird is, is out and attacking and dive bombing. You know, birds are great for help actions because they can get in and get out without taking opportunity attacks. And I just, I love this idea of just, eh, tree's mad. Guess what? All the things living in it, boom, they're attacking as well. Yeah, no, I, I was kind of thinking about that when you mentioned <laughs> as just like, yes, woodland, woodland creatures are angry. <laughs> All hey, the woodland creatures that live there are if angry. If this is a fey tree, then you're just really screwed. Yep. A bunch of fairies come out. Or yep. pixies, they they are mad. Yeah, yeah. I, like that's I, I think that's great. I think that it takes takes a very vanilla, boring encounter, and you can turn it into something much cooler, much more dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes your players actually have to think, position, uh, and provides them with maybe things they're not expecting. Because when you do stuff like this, people have been playing a while. They 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 get to know some of these things. Like they it's just a tree. Get, it's just, yeah, it's a tree. It's gonna slam. Don't get close. We'll be fine. Oh God, where are these roots coming from? <laughs> oh no! Ah, I'm getting fruit pelted at me. You know <laughs> why is the squirrel biting my leg? <laughs> yeah, cool stuff like that. <laughs> um, let's let's take a look at one more. Let's take a look at one that's a little higher up the the CR scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one is nasty. I've actually used one of these before oh. uh, in a slightly modified way. Uh, this, uh, the next one we're going to talk about is called a corpse flower. And this is like a CR eight, you know, 127 hit points. Uh, this thing basically uh, it's, it's not uninteresting in its base stats. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's some cool stuff to it. Right. Yeah. Um, Basically, it uh, has this cool uh, aura around it that can poison you if you fail a a con save. Uh, It's got these corpses in it that it can kind of vomit up and reanimate. That's kind of cool. Zombies are pretty basic (laughs) as well. That's one of those they shamble up and they hit you type things. Uh, But the, the... 
corpse flower itself is fairly generic as far as what it can do beyond just vomiting up the corpses. It's got the little aura, but all it has is a multi-attack. It's got three tentacle attacks. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Does some bludgeoning and bludgeoning and poison damage. It can also, you know, harvest uh, corpses, which may or may not be applicable depending on where you're at and yeah. where, where it's fighting. Right. Exactly. Um, uh, it can digest. It does have some bonus actions, which is cool. Uh, it can use bonus actions to reanimate the corpses that you, you basically roll beforehand to see how many it's got already. So it can use a bonus action to reanimate, turn it into a, a zombie, which is, you know, just a quarter challenge rating and basically has a slam attack. That's it. Uh, <laughs> a lot of things just have slam attacks, apparently. Um and then uh, it can also digest a corpse and heal a little bit. So that's that's pretty cool. Uh, but Ben, how would we make this a little more interesting, a little more dynamic? It's got a little bit of something. It's got some flavor, hot, like, but it still feels like it's missing something. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, one of the first things that I went to was immediately uh, a ranged attack. And uh, I figured, you know what? While it's it's got these zombies that are these dead bodies or whatever that is digesting, um, what if it spits? I'm gonna do a zombie spit, and you know what? Um, the corpse flower it spits partially digested digested zombie, and uh, that's really gross. And it would cause either some sort of poison or disease effect or something like like that. Maybe you take necrotic damage because this like invasive gross thing is spitting at you, and. Uh, I wouldn't want to deal with that personally. Not, not a fan. Um, one other thing too, I thought, you know what? This thing is all about reanimating and about um, making things that are like dead things come back. So if slashing damage occurs, the zombie the, or the corpse flower, it's cut. And these cuttings actually grow and turn into more minions, you Ooh, know, hydring it just like little, like, five, 10 hit point type things. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Start getting annoying. Yeah, 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 exactly. But if you slash it a ton, you're going to have to deal with a lot of these different things, you know, and uh, you can but only slashing damage. Yeah, exactly. Cause you're cutting yeah. the, the, the corpse flower apart, which makes, which makes that slashing bludgeoning piercing more interesting mm-hmm. because you don't see that often. There's like some things like skeletons, right. That are like vulnerable to bludgeoning. Yeah. Type damage. But there's not a ton of that type of stuff. So introducing like, oh, crap, we're all holding swords. This is going to make things way harder. Exactly. Maybe we need to switch weapons. Maybe we need to find an improvised weapon. Maybe we need to look around for like a club or something. Well, we just killed that awakened tree. Let's all go grab some branches. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I thought that'd be kind of fun, you know, just having little tiny minions running around. And I I figured based on the amount of damage that you do, that could be, you know, like some sort of scale of how many minions actually get cut off or how big or hefty it is and stuff based on the hit points that the actual attack causes. Um, and then lastly, I thought, you know what, again, this thing's all about, um, dying things living again. If it's sunny out and if it's in sunlight, I'm just going to give it a re a, a regeneration. Like every single turn it gets health back. And, that's kind of creepy on its own because it's like this horrible corpse flower and stuff like that. Um, 
but hey, flowers like sunlight. Sure. Why not? Even gross, disgusting ones. Um, and I figure, you know what? Hey, if it's hit with fire, that probably, you know, that whole regenerative thing doesn't happen because that's what always happens with regeneration stuff. If it's hit with fire, doesn't regenerate. But I figured it's going to give it that extra flavor of, oh, shoot, this this like bit was cut off. Guess what? I'm healed back up again. So keep cutting because I'm just going to keep throwing more minions at you because my health is regenerating. Yeah, I I like monsters that are puzzles mm -hmm. where the characters are all of a sudden like something happens unexpectedly. And then the characters at slash players have to go, oh, why did this happen? And why is this not happening? Like that, because when I ask what type of damage it is. And then all of a sudden they use a hammer and hit it. And that same thing doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Then the wheels start turning and the, Oh, Oh, slashing makes it drop things. Oh, that's interesting. And so then they can change up your tactics, mm -hmm. right? So I love, I love monsters that are puzzles, like little mini puzzles that you can figure out kind of while you're, while you're doing stuff. Um, one other cool thing, this is this is the a type of thing that you could do something. I, I was thinking of an attack like decompose. Mm -hmm. Where maybe one of the multi-attacks is uh, something where it hits you and you need to make a con save. And if you don't, you take some necrotic damage and your max hit points drop by that much too. Ooh as your arm starts to wither or like, it looks like uh, you are getting decomposed as it hits you more and more like a blighted like, touch or something like that. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Like that's it, it, that it feels very thematic for something like this. Mm -hmm. That is just like taking in corpses and reanimating them. Uh, decomposing something as it's fighting it uh, would add that uh, uh, certainly an element of like danger or uh oh <laughs> as your your max hit points start dropping. Um, so I, I was thinking something like that, and then like again, you can do cool flavor things like you know you're starting you see visible things on your character. And then the player goes, uh, uh oh, <laughs> like, uh, that's, this is bad. And then maybe everything is restored after the corpse flower dies mm -hmm. or something, something like that. The magic, because obviously it's magic. It's reanimating corpses. That's ah, natural cycle of things. Natural cycle of life. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Definitely uh, a, a lot of interesting things you could do uh, that I like the. Um, uh, I was just kind of trying to think of reactions that it could that it could take um, or uh, again, you could make the zombies more interesting too. Mm -hmm. give them uh, flavor them as uh, if you've ever seen like uh, The Last of Us. Yeah. Flavor them as plant-like zombies. Maybe they vomit up this like poison, or maybe they just have poison spray. Right? Uh, maybe they vomit something up 
maybe they release spores of their own when they die or if they're hit by bludgeoning damage Mm -hmm. or something, something of the like that uh, does something interesting as well. Because again, with the course flower, it's really, you're you're really kind of a two in one at this point uh, or multiple (laughs) and, uh, and one with these uh, reanimated corpses. So do something cool with them, flavor them in a plant-like way. Exactly. I like this. Yeah, no, good call on that. And uh, I think that we've definitely made them something that's like, you know, kind of interesting, even more interesting. And especially with the tree, I think that we really nailed that one out of the park. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like there's a lot of monsters that are kind of like halfway there but they really need something special to just make them stand out or make them again in my mind. And we are totally going to do a review of flea mortals at some point Mm -hmm. because I just love the monster design in there. But in my mind, the monsters should be just as fun to run as they are to play against. Yeah. Because if you are not having fun running them as a DM, chances are the players are probably not having a ton of fun fighting them. Yeah. I, you know what? I, I do agree with that. Uh, one of my most fun encounters was when I, uh, had my party fight against three, uh, actual cannibal Shia LaBeoufs. It was a lot of fun. Crazy encounters. I think I remember you telling telling that story. Oh yeah, that was a long time ago. At this point, yeah, that was, a, that was, it was a one long one apartment ago. ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've been doing this for a while. It's almost episode 100, guys. I know. <laughs> wild, absolutely wild. Uh, but yeah, uh, do you have any other plant monsters? And uh, you've done cool things too. Is there are, is there other ones that you would like us to talk about or fix any monsters or any monster types? Let us know. We would love to. We would love to do that. Monster Fixer is one of my favorite segments because it really gets the creative juices flowing. It does. So, um, look forward to more of those soon. So, uh, as always, before we wrap up, we've got a few supplemental things to talk about. Mm-hmm. First of which is if you ordered a physical copy of the Deck of Many Things, it's been delayed. Oh no. <laughs> Apparently their uh, wizards was not happy with the quality of the manufactured physical copies uh, or physical sets. And so uh, they are getting those redone. So unfortunately that means the physical product is going to be delayed. However, uh, the digital release of the book of many things will not be impacted and will still release on Tuesday, November 14th. Which will be the and, a week after this comes out. Yep. And purchasers of the physical plus digital bundle will still get the, They've already got their early access. Early yeah. access started October 31st. So um, they apologized. So hopefully there won't be a gigantic delay in those. But I would guess it may be even up to a few months because printing things can take uh, quite a bit of time. So hopefully, hopefully they'll be able to get that fixed. Uh, Also, this is this is just such a weird, cool one. 
And it's it's weird because there has not seemingly been a ton of promotion around. I, I did see there is a there is a tweet for from D Beyond and the official Wizards account, but that's that's kind of it. Uh, there's a new book from Wizards of the Coast on the DMs Guild called Chains of Asmodeus. Uh, and Arcan- this is an Arcanum Worlds production. It's the same people who did Minsk and Boo's Journal of Villainy, Heroes of Baldur's Gate. Uh, this is a, a supplement that was designed uh, for all proceeds to go to Extra Life, Yay. which is a super great cause. Uh, it is $29.99. It's, so it's, it's one of the more expensive PDFs. Uh, they're working on getting print on demand soon. For some reason, it's not available on D&D Beyond. It should be because uh, it looks pretty dang cool. And I would love to have this stuff available in the digital tool set. So essentially what it is, it's a 286 page. So bigger than a lot of official official releases. Like why this is not an actual real book, I don't know. Uh it's a 286-page source book, an adventure for the Nine Hells, written by legendary game designer James Olin and uh, award-winning author Adrian Chekagazovsky. I sure. probably butchered that. I probably butchered that horribly. Um, Check out a uh, ton of Chekovsky. Yeah, that sounds better than the way I said it. Uh, but with a ton of great art, like the art looks incredible. Uh, the tome includes 50 plus high CR monsters, actual stat blocks for Asmodeus and all the major archdevils, 20 plus infernal magic items, a new item corruption mechanic, details on all the layers of the nine hells with beautifully illustrated maps by John Stevenson and an adventure for levels 11 through 20. Yay, this is the type of high-level <laughs> content we want. Please, for the love of, I, I guess, uh, the hells, please, for the love of the hells, advertise this. Put this on D&D Beyond. This is the exact type of thing we need for people to help learn high-level content, to help learn that Tier 3 and Tier 4 content. Like... This like, why is this not an official book? Why is this not on D&D Beyond? Like. Wizards do it like this looks incredibly cool. They've got a full size preview that you can look through. Uh, I plan on getting this. I'm just kind of holding off, hoping that it will go to D&D Beyond. But uh, again, all proceeds go to Extra Life, which is super cool uh, fundraiser for the Children's Medical Network hospitals uh, to help kids who are receiving medical care there. So uh, it's a great cause. We'll of course have a link to it in our show notes. Um, and I, I don't know, but it looks pretty cool. It does. It really does. And considering I was just in the hells, something like this would have been great for just some extra flavor and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. Uh, and then you had something as well that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, Cam, uh, a friend of mine, uh, told me about this uh, in late October. Um, so it's a, a book called one shot wonders it's by um, uh, roll and play press. And basically what it is, it's a hundred different session ideas for one shots or side quests. Um, and it is a really great little book. 
Um, it has tons of great information, has all the stuff that you need. Uh, so basically like each short idea is just no more than two pages. It has easy to navigate text, uh, for like the story and the, the, the plot points has different NPCs, locations, maps, leveling guides, and like rewards, tons of extra little fun things to just kind of, you know, sprinkle throughout your, your campaign. If you're having uh you know, a hard time coming up with an idea for a session, or you just want like a, a quick kind of distraction side quest, it's got a ton of different things in here. And I mean, I am a big fan of, after looking at this and stuff, um, a, a apparently I think this was actually talked about on critical role, either the last episode or maybe the one before something like that. So um, we're, I guess a little late to the party on this, but just kind of looking at this, it's really neat. And I highly recommend it at uh, the PDF uh, 44 99. I will have a link to it in, in our show notes, just like we do with everything else that we talk about, but uh, definitely take a look at it. Like I said, hundred different session ideas. I think that is amazing. And from just the, the samples that they have in here, it's just really cool, fun little things. So definitely check it out. Yeah, that sounds that sounds super awesome. I will definitely be looking into this one. It's always nice to have those quick, easy uh, to use, like one shot type things. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I mean, just from the previews, we're looking at like a level three to four adventure. There's a seven and eight adventure. So uh, a one to two adventure. So, they, you know, kind of scattered around. I don't know the, the highest level that it goes at two. Uh, but again, anything that's in there, I'm sure you can just, you know, up, up stat it as much as you need to, uh, just to have some fun. Like the one that's really got me, uh, interested in here, it's called no horse race. And it basically looks like there's a gnome on almost like, like a, a crystal powered rocket powered cart. So I'm thinking like pod racing and I am super excited about, you know, doing something along these lines. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds that sounds super cool. Thanks for uh, thanks for bringing that out. And like you, you said, we'll have the link in the show notes and we will have the link in our brand new discord server. Yes. So we've had several people ask us about this. And to be honest, my response is I don't know why 99 <laughs> episodes in we haven't done a discord server because it feels like that would be a great way to connect with people who listen to the show, a great way for people to suggest show topics or ask questions for the show to discuss the show in general, to discuss D and D other tabletop RPGs, talk about D and D news, propose homebrew things, look for players, uh, look for DMS, or games. Uh, I just went through all the channels that we have in the new discord, uh, but yeah, <laughs> uh, a place for us to announce show news and the like, but uh, we have one now. We actually have one uh, and we will have the link to join it. If you uh, would like to jump in and talk with us about D and D or about the show, ask questions, uh, proposed show topics. We'll have the link to join that on the show notes uh, every time from now on at dndiscussions.com. Uh, on our Twitter and our Blue Sky page, we will have the link to join the uh, Discord as well. Mm-hmm. And so if that's something you're interested in uh, or a, a way you like to communicate, uh, we would love to have you join. 
So we wanted to make sure we shouted that out so that people could check out uh, the Discord, join us, uh, and ask those questions, propose those topics. Uh, it'd be it'll hopefully be a great community that we will get started around the show. And I guess uh, we did it before episode 100. Yeah, you know we're <laughs> we're we're learning. We're getting there. We'll get there. Probably something we should have done a while ago, but it's here now. The ne- it's better better late than never. Uh, exactly. Best time would have been at the beginning. The next best time probably would have been every episode after that. But the current best time is now. <laughs> it's it's here. It's ready to go. Uh, so we hope to see you over there as well. Mm-hmm. And as always, before we end the episode, uh, we usually like to talk a little bit about what's going on in our own games. So, uh, Ben. Have you played since the last time we've talked? Um, it is official. We are taking a hiatus until the new year, um, just because, again, with my health and then also with um, busy season with work and the holidays and everything, finding all the time to really kind of get in together and stuff. I didn't want to add more stress to myself that I I already have a ton right now, so I didn't need any more. But we're going to get back into it in January. I've already have a lot of new ideas. It's given me a, a great chance to, you know, creatively think of some really good stuff to do. So I'm I'm definitely looking forward to getting back into the swing of things. You though, I heard that you did I something. Know. I did. Well, uh, I I do. I so I play in a. Uh, Curse Strahd game and almost got TPK'd oh. last night. So that was that was fun. Um, no, no spoils for Curse of Strahd. I know this is uh, definitely one of the uh, most popular modules to go through. And I, I will just say uh, it is a blast. It is super interesting, especially if you like the horror vibes, which normally I'm not like a horror person. Like I don't like horror movies and stuff like that. But for some reason, I really enjoy it in my tabletop hmm. stuff. Uh, maybe it, it, I have a feel like I have a greater sense of control or whatever, but uh, it's it's been very good. It's been very good. So uh, if you get the chance, play Curse of Strahd. OK, for sure. Uh, otherwise, though, I did have a session zero for my new campaign. Uh, it's still we aren't starting it officially still for several more weeks. Um, we got together, talked about characters, talked about the uh, plot hooks, talked about getting characters integrated into the world, uh, how the characters um, were kind of acquainted with each other, went over some of the custom rules for the world. We've talked uh, some about that. Uh, before with some of the the custom rules I use between like the new exhaustion rules, trying out shove as a bonus action mm-hmm. and putting putting some mechanics around that. That'll be super fun. You know, being able to cast the the two leveled spells, the action bonus action. I love being able to do that or love letting my players do that, uh, which is is super fun. So talked about that, talked about stars and wishes, uh, which is something I'm going to be doing for the first time from the beginning of the game, which is basically taking, leaving, you know, five or 10 minutes after the session to kind of go around and have people 
say what they thought was cool, uh, any cool character moments uh, that they or someone else might have had, what they're hoping to see more of. Uh, and then I'm going to be using that as a chance to award inspiration as well, because that That's will a good help idea. me. That will help me remember it. Uh, and I think that's that will be a really good time to to help remember it. And I told my players, uh, you know, usually rule, especially if multiple people shout out the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe that person gets inspiration. It's not necessarily going to be limited to just one person getting it. Uh, but I also set the expectation of make sure to use it, right? Because if we're potentially rewarding some inspiration at the end of every session, I and mean, it only stacks to one, uh, don't be afraid to use it, mm -hmm. right? Uh, don't, I, I, I know I personally have a horrible habit and I know a lot of people do too, of keeping all the potions and keeping all the, the things until the last possible minute or potentially not using them at all because it's, it's the survival horror, uh, inventory problem. Yes. Yes. It, it's totally a, an issue. And I've really especially for like Baldur's Gate 3 and stuff where you can get a lot of those things or potentially craft them yourself. I've really been trying to use those things and I want to I think it's a great way or it's a great thing you can set expectations with your players of potions and stuff, especially healing potions or whatever, maybe plentiful or you will get them on a semi regular basis. Don't be afraid to use yeah. the stuff you get. Um, I think even just a small reminder like that to players can really help them think about that and then use the cool stuff they get without hoarding it a bunch or without even worse, forgetting <laughs> about it because it's just been sitting in the bag of holding for forever. Mm -hmm. So uh, talked about, you know, that type of thing, lines and veils, uh, pretty much everything that you uh, think of. It was it was very uh, you know, let players ask questions about the world, about the 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 state of things, about the plot hooks. Uh, so it was really the first real session zero I've had. <laughs> there's there's been kind of uh, some things, some campaigns have grew out of one shots. Yeah. So you didn't have the really uh, real official uh, official session zero or anything that kind of looked like it. It just kind of things just kind of happened. Or, you know, I've had some like an online one before that was kind of a session zero ish type thing, but it really wasn't fully formed. This was the first one I like fully planned, had an agenda, was fully formed uh, and that type of thing. So I uh, I'm looking forward to it. Well, good. It won't be starting for for a little while still, um, but it's in motion. Uh, characters are being developed and backstoried and. We'll work with uh, all the, the players to kind of develop those hooks into the world once the characters have their backstories. Uh, and it should be should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Well, very good. It sounds like it's uh, set up uh, to go the distance and, you know, be a lot. I of hope fun. so. I hope so. The, the session zero definitely set a good precedent. So I it's it's something that I and I know we did an ep episode on session zero. Mm -hmm. So it's, if, if you're wondering what that is, uh, we did do, uh, a whole segment on session zeros and their importance. So it, it's certainly going to be something that I am going to be doing moving forward. And I think set us up really well. 
Yep, it's definitely something I'm going to be doing uh, once I finish this campaign and start up with our Spelljammer one. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, that is it. That is all we have for this episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. It's always a fantastic time. Been talking with you about things that we both really love to do. Uh, But as always, before we go, why don't you tell everyone where we can be reached? You bet. Um, I don't know if you've noticed or not by listening to this episode, but Ryan has been peppering throughout the entire thing, asking for you to contact us. One of the best ways that you can do that is through email. You can send those emails to dndiscussions at gmail.com. It is great for a long form communication, stories, questions, anything like that. Uh, we love to hear from you. It's a great thing. Uh, checking our email. I might not be as fast as Ryan is at answering it, but I do read it just as I know he does all the time. Um, other than that, you can find us on blue sky. Uh, we are at DN discussions. Uh, Ryan is at TBK Zord and I am at Ben Bumhofer. All of us, uh, all over blue sky, um, which right now in the blue sky link and also on our Twitter, uh, link at DN discussions, uh, you can find a link to that discord server, um, which we will again have in our show notes as well. If you're wanting to join in on or join in with us, uh, but you can find us there. Um, as for DN discussions, Hey, guess what? There are 98 other episodes of the show. Unbelievably, it's blowing my mind just thinking about that. But every single episode is available online. You can find them right now on your podcast player choice or, of course, at dndiscussions.com. Now, Ryan, it has been great to talk to you again. I am happy that uh, we got some good D&D talk. I know that uh, we had to shift the schedule around a little bit, but we're here. We're we're editing. We're posting. We're getting this out. And uh, I'm looking forward to whatever we have for episode 100. So until next time which is episode 100, which is still mind-bogglingly cool. Um, Everybody, roll high and be good to each other. Take care, and we'll see you soon.